morning. Happy Sabbath. Uh, thank you, Brother Rich, uh, for that very kind introduction. Um, very honored and uh, pleasure to be able to finally meet the Paul's Valley Church. I look forward to meeting each and every one of you, and uh, my family is here as well. I'm, I'm hoping that uh, you'll be able to enjoy meeting them as well. Today, I have a very special burden in my heart to share with all of you. Um, those of us who know the Seventh-day Adventist message, we know that the coming of Jesus Christ is very soon. And it doesn't just take, what, two, three minutes turning on television, listening to the radio, that we see signs all around us that his coming is very soon. So it's a, it's a burden for us as Adventists to bring the good news of Christ's soon return. So today, if you'll open your Bibles and just keep your finger on the, on the scripture reading that we had today, which was in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Before we go into our message this morning, I'd like for us to bow our heads for a word of prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to be with us this morning. Our loving God, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time that we are able to gather in your name, that we have this freedom, that we have this liberty to worship you. But we ask you, Lord, that we use not this liberty for indulgence in the flesh, but that we use it so that we may bring others to the foot of the cross of your Son, Jesus Christ. I ask thee in a special and powerful way that you work here in the area of Paul's Valley, O Lord that we may be able to bring souls to you. For your commission to us is to grow your kingdom. We thank thee, Lord, that uh, you have been a kind and merciful God, that you've given us, in spite of all our weaknesses, our sinfulness, that you accept us as we are, but you change us and never leave us as we are. I thank thee, the Lord, for this they thank thee for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. And be with me now as impart the words that you would have me impart. In the name of your loving son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. It was a bright and sunny day in Toronto, Canada, on July the 9th, 1993. To 38-year-old Gary Hoy, it was just another day at work, and Hoy was considered by his peers as one of the best and brightest of the Holden Day Wilson law firm at which he worked. He was known for his energetic style, and today he was going to give a live tour of the office to a group of young interns. Now, Gary, however, had a very odd habit that worried several of his workmates. The offices of Holden Day Wilson were located on the 24th floor, which floor? 24th floor of the Toronto Dominion Center. I don't know how many of you have been to Toronto, and I haven't yet. But uh, in the Toronto Dominion Center on the 24th floor were the offices of the Holden Day Wilson law firm. 
And according to the building specifications, the glass of the building's windows were supposed to be unbreakable. So whenever new interns or visitors came to the office, Gary would run and fling himself against the windows to show that they were in fact unbreakable. Gary wanted to show the new interns his stunt whenever they would come. And whether it was to prove some strange point in physics, architecture, or just to merely show off his bravado, every time in the past when he did it, he would bounce right back. So to some odd gasps, he flung himself one more time against the window with a running start. And sure enough, he bounced back. But for some reason, he felt that that wasn't enough. And he ran at the window a second time. For all intents and purposes, Gary was proven right. The glass did not break upon impact. Instead, the whole pane popped out of its frame and gave way to an attorney hoy flying into the air and he plunged 24 stories to his death in front of screaming and terrified interns. Scripture tells us in our scripture reading, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. I know the title of the sermon says, You live only once, then the judgment. But the only way you get to die is because you are alive. Not too long ago, there was an aphorism. Now that just means a motto, if you will. And it became trending especially in uh, pop culture. And the acronym was Y-O-L-O. I don't know how many of you are familiar with that. Those of the younger generation might be familiar. And it stands for You Live Only Once. It was injected into youth culture, and it became, thankfully, a viral yet temporary phenomenon. And as explained by some, it is a call to live life to its fullest extent, even embracing behavior which carries inherent risk to life and limb. This culture is most definitely selfish. Those that take it seriously take no heed to the warnings and counsels of those that care about them. Their actions often not only affect them, but others as well, and in most cases, very negatively. This culture is, in fact, not new. This motto has been around in many different forms. In the Latin carpe diem, for example, which means seize the day, from the Roman poet Horace's poem, The Odes, written during the time of Christ. It was also found verbatim in a translation of a title of a waltz, written by Johann Strauss II in 1855. While it exists in its pathetic and sinful state, the world will never run out of those who live for themselves because they feel they have one life to live. What motivates such individuals to become so blind to the physical and spiritual suffering of others? In 2 Timothy, if you open your Bibles, it's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Some of you may already be familiar with this text. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 to 4. And I read, 
This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Now, I want to be clear. No one is without blame in this game. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. You look to the left, there are plenty of examples of lovers of cells. You look to the right, there are many examples of lovers of money and of pride. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. What's the root of all evil? The love of money. While which some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. You see... Playing political sides won't save you. Only the blood of the Lamb will save you. Everywhere you look, left, right, downward, shows a cesspool of sins and degradation that the world cannot rid itself of. Men indulging in that which are abominations to God. Yet all these argue that it is their life to do with as they wish. Is that true? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 to 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. The Bible tells us, What? Know ye not that your body is the what? Temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and not of your own? Ye are bought, for ye are bought with a what? Price. price. What was that price, brothers and sisters? The life of Jesus Christ. An infinite price. Therefore, do what? Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see, there is provision for every soul in existence to be saved should they believe in Christ Jesus. We criticize the world at large for ignoring the precepts of Christianity and hearkening to the world and living to oneself. But we as Christians would do a disservice to the Lord if we claim to His name and do not wish to busy ourselves in His work. 
Yes, we may not be gallivanting or cavorting across dance floors like the ones we are quick to criticize in the world. But sitting pad on a couch watching TV all day accomplishes the same thing. Passively not doing the right thing is morally equivalent to actively doing the wrong thing. If you are not actively working to save souls one way or the other, you have made the same claim to selfishness as those that seek to use the life they live on this earth for self-gratification and mindless pleasure. Said the wicked servant who hid his talent in the ground, and this is found in Matthew chapter 25, verse 25. How many of you remember what he said? This is what he said. Matthew 25, verse 25. And he said, I was afraid and went and hid my talent in the earth. Verses 26 to 30 tells us what happens next. The response was swift and justice was executed by the master. And he said, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money into the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, give it unto him which hath ten talents, for unto everyone that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even the which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There was once a story told of two men who lived in a faraway kingdom a long time ago. And these men needed to feed their families and apparently applied and accepted and were accepted to a job. Cutting wood. The first man went straight to the job, hauling logs and working the saws and swinging axes. And to his annoyance, though, the second man stood by, his arms crossed as he leaned against a tree. The shift ended, and the second man did nothing more than move a few inches here and there to adjust his position while observing the first man. The next work day occurred very much like the first, and the next, and the next, and the next. And this went on and on for many work days until payday arrived. The supervisors of the job were given a complaint on the nature of the payment. Now the king of that kingdom who also served as a judge for the kingdom, was a wise man. He summoned the two men who had lodged a complaint, and so the first man approached the throne. Sire, he said, I'd work hard on this job. I cut and hauled wood and earned my keep, but this man here has stood by watching me, and he is seeking pay? Outrageous. The king listened intently and nodded. Then he motioned for the second man to speak. Your majesty, said the second man, I do believe I am owed wages, for I stood there to observe and listen to this man while he hauled and chopped wood. 
The king smiled and called for a guard to bring the first man's bag of wages to him. Then the king asked for a platter. The king then lifted the bag and began to pour the coins into the platter, much to the first man's dismay and the second man's delight. The second man felt sure the contents of the platter were destined for him. But the king did not stop at pouring a few coins and kept going and going until all the contents of the bag were on the platter. The coins made a loud, clanging noise. The second man couldn't help but grin enormously. Then the king suddenly poured back all the coins from the platter back into the bag and promptly handed it back to the first man. But, 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 sire, you left not even a coin for me for my efforts, the second man protested. The king replied, ah, but you did receive your just reward, my good man. Just as how you watched and listened to your friend work away, you watched and listened to his wages go out and back into his bag. You see, we can spend our lives listening to sermons, watching presentations, Sabbath in, Sabbath out. But unless we work to fulfill the commission of God, we will just be like that wicked servant who buried his talent and did not receive a return. There will be many of those who claim to be Christians, even many of those who claim to be Seventh-day Adventists, who will end up in the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth while they will be thinking of what could have been. You have one mortal life to live. Then comes the judgment which will determine whether you will receive life immortal. Christ has bought that life for you, for me. You can reject that life by living this life for yourself. Or you can believe that eternal life is yours and you live the rest of this life in service to God and for others. In the year 2005, the world was rocked with the news that a young South Korean man by the name of Lee Sung-sup died after playing a video game for 50 straight hours with hardly any sleep or anything to eat. A witness saw him just fall from his chair. Lee was rushed to the nearby hospital where it was concluded that the cause of death was heart failure induced by extreme exhaustion and dehydration. Perhaps the irony in it all is that video games give you the illusion that you have many chances at life. When you lose or die, you can just respawn again and go at it. But real life is no video game, is it? Once you die, you face the judgment and your eternal destiny will be forever in place. Others waste their lives on presumption. Bando Matsuguro VIII was a highly revered actor and celebrity in Japan in the 1970s. 
His work was legendary, and the Japanese government designated him a living national treasure. This was in 1973. Two years later, he and a group of friends decided to visit a rare restaurant, one that served the infamous fugo, or pufferfish. Japanese chefs are carefully trained to remove the poisonous parts, such as the ovaries and the liver, which contain deadly tetrotoxins, which is considered even deadlier than potassium cyanide. However, Bando was feeling invincible that day for some reason, and insisted that the restaurant serve him not one, not two, but four fugo livers. His friends tried to dissuade him, but he remained confident that he was immune to the toxin and assured that he would suffer no ill effects. Seven hours later, he was dead. The sad thing is that he not only died needlessly, but he suffered immensely, paralyzed for the majority of that time, conscious, but unable to move or speak until the paralysis crippled his lungs and he died from asphyxiation. The question now is, how will you live the life that you have? Will it be in vain service of self or of God and others? Jesus said in John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28, My sheep hear my voice. John 10, 27 to 28. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man Pluck them out of my hand. You remember earlier the story about Gary Hoy? The man who foolishly threw his life away, trying to prove the windows of his building, office building wouldn't break, just caused his demise. It just didn't cause his demise. He brought the whole law firm he worked with down. According to a news report compiled years after his death, and I quote, The biggest law firm to shut down was Toronto-based Holden Day Wilson in 1996. Holden Day was at his peak, had 90 lawyers after a merger in 1990, but the firm was devastated in 1993 by a fatal accident involving one of their most popular partners, Gary Hoy, who playfully took a run at a window during a reception at the Toronto Dominion Center. In front of dozens of lawyers, the window gave way and Mr. Hoy fell to his death 24 floors below. The combined challenge of recovering from Mr. Hoy's death and holding together a newly merged firm proved too great for Holden Day's partners. By 1996, more, more than 30 partners have left, had left the firm and Holden Day closed its doors amid controversy about unpaid bills and compensation, end quote. What will your legacy show? When the judgment comes, what will be seen? Will it be your desire to please yourself 
Or will Jesus stand in your stead, showing that He has been living in your life all this time? And you had placed upon your character His lovely and righteous character. I'm going to read a quote from the book Selected Messages, um, volume 2, page 264. It says, and I quote, Our loved ones die. Their accounts with God are sealed up. But while we consider it a serious, solemn thing to die, we must consider it a much more solemn thing to live. Every day of life is frighted with responsibilities which we must bear. Our individual interests, our words, our actions are making impressions upon those with whom we are connected. We are to find our consolation in Jesus Christ, Precious Savior, he was ever touched with human woe. Cling to the source of your strength. End quote. May we ever let Christ live in us so that we can live to his glory and pleasure and not for our own. For it is appointed for us to die once, then the judgment. How glorious would it be in that judgment for all the universe to see Jesus instead of us during our time in court? Let us pray. Holy God, Heavenly Father, Lord, we are blessed for this life that you've given to us and we know that you bought our lives with the life of your Son, Jesus Christ. And that we are not our own, but our temples of the Holy Spirit. Use us mightily, O God, in whatever capacity we may, you may will for us. Whether small or great, or anywhere in between, Lord, please use us for your glory. May you instill in us a desire to follow you and not to please ourselves, but to be a first service to you and of much service also to others. We thank you, dear Lord, for this church. We thank you for the work that we know that it, it will do through your strength and through your power. And may we see many souls fill these pews and fill the kingdom of heaven. And we pray all these things in the mighty way through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.